You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is a special Chuvas of Paiskamshir. They're all special, but it's always special when Rabbi Michael J. Broid agrees to address us. Uh, he has been. Broid recently posted something on the Jewish Lairhouse, which is a pretty prestigious uh, website. Uh, a lot of wonderful articles are, are posted there. And I think that this article, which was posted on August 21st, is a little bit different, Rabbi Broid, than some of the other articles, not just in content, but also you posted this as sort of an expository or exploratory article. Um, as as your thoughts, as opposed to something that you would have published, but I, but I know that you're taken by this idea. I can tell uh, from the writing itself. Um, it's really trying to explain the rationale in a way that can explain mitzvahs a time bound direction, and and maybe uh, satisfy, uh, despite the fact that you don't really emphasize this in the article, there is a clamoring, there is a demand, especially from uh, Claudius Roll's women, to really have this exemption or explanation really clear to them, because my daughter and many daughters and many people's wives, um, this has been something that, um, that people have grappled with. And I think you, in your article, uh, you have indeed... This article, why are women obligated in some time-bound positive commandment to exempt from others, a new theory, um, is an argument that, um, first of all, the literature that comes before us in general is um, very incomplete. And it's important to articulate why I'm revisiting an issue that Rishonim and Akronim spent a great deal of time on to argue that their analysis was um, not satisfactory. And I guess I want to explain before I I move into what I think, um, what I think is wrong with what was said beforehand. Um, In general, the discussions about why women are exempt from Mrs. Mangrama has been driven by the idea that women are exempt from Mrs. Mangrama. But in fact, when you stop and look at um, the mitzvot, you see that women are obligated in many, many, many Mrs. Mangrama. And um, the literature is thought to be useful and not just polemical or apologetic, has to helpfully explain to us why women are obligated in some mitzvah say, Shahad Van and not others. It would be easy to adopt the theory to explain why women are exempt from all the mitzvah say, Shahad Van like the Mishnah seems to indicate is the rule, but um, they're not. Um, there are 14 Mitzvotasesha listed in the Rambam. Of them, the Rambam tells us that women are exempt from eight and the Bible in six. And other Rishonim maintain 
that in fact the Rambam is incorrect about counting the Omer, and that actually women are obligated in, uh, are, are exempt from seven and obligated in seven. You're hard pressed to call this a rule when in the best of circumstances, the ratio is four to three. And this goes to something that I will more generally publish on, which is in order for Ta'amei HaMitzvot to be a worthwhile field, you have to not only explain the reason for the commandment, but you also have to explain the reason for the exemption. And you have to advance a theory that helpfully explains to us why the mitzvah applies in this way. So, for example, to step totally out of my field, it always struck me as incorrect to say that the mitzvah of kisui hadam, covering the blood, is the way the Torah reminds us that what we're doing is ethically wrong and we're ashamed of it so we cover the blood without simultaneously acknowledging that domesticated animals are exempt from the mitzvah. And then what the Torah is saying is, eat cow is fine, don't eat deer. Um, meaning, without discussing that example precisely, when I advance uh, a reason for a mitzvah, my reason has to cover not only the mitzvah, but the parameters of the mitzvah, um, the exemptions from the mitzvah, and why my reasons help explain the detail. Otherwise, I'm just philosophizing abstractly with no real and significant implication. In this paper, I argue that the previous literature found both in the Abu Draham and in the Achronim who discussed this topic is all mistaken. Whether it's Rabbi Hirsch's view, which is seconded by both Rabbi Rachman and Rabbi Lamb, that women are exempt from positive commandments because they're better. Or the Rabad's claim that women are exempt from positive commandments because these mitzvot are so hard and, and women are worse than men. Neither of these explanations is worthwhile. It's not that they're right or they're wrong. It's that they don't help us understand the data, or what's actually really going on. Instead, and by the way, the same is true, we have to say candidly, for the Abu Draham. Um, instead, we have to turn all the way to the 1970s to find the first great mind who says the real question is why are women obligated in some commandments, some positive commandments, and not other positive commandments? When, and that is the famous article by Rabbi Saul Berman on women and mitzvot, where Rabbi Berman says the Torah exempts women from those mitzvot that are ideally and properly done in public and obligates women in mitzvot that are ideally and properly done in private. Rabbi Berman, I think, gets um, an enormous yashikoah 
for identifying the right issue. The right issue is not why are women exempt from all positive commandments? Um, the right issue is why are women exempt from some positive commandments and not other positive commandments? But truth be told, while I think Rabbi Berman gives the right question, I don't think his thesis provides the right answer. Um, Rabbi Berman gets enormous credit for the formulation of the proper question, but at the end of the day, I don't think the public-private distinction explains the exemptions. I don't understand why women are exempt from the mitzvah of sukkah and lulav and arbaminim, but liable from the mitzvah for the mitzvah of um, matzah and magid. I don't know why this is more public than that. Um, and indeed, to the extent you really want to focus on the Abu Drahman question of mitzvot asesha's man grama interfere with her role as mother and wife, the biggest mitzvot asesha's man grama that regularly interferes is fasting on Yom Kippur which profoundly interferes with the most intense maternal role of being pregnant. Every year, I discover in the community which women are expecting, because they call to discuss fasting on Yom Kippur and how it interferes with pregnancy. The simple fact is, is that the mitzvot that women are exempt from are no more public than the mitzvot that women are obligated in. It's true, some of them had bidurim that are now in public, like filling. But it's hard to see why the sukkah is more of a public mitzvah than magi. Well, the seder is, uh, in a way, public. It's really a family-based uh, event, even if you bring other families in. Uh, although you're saying sukkah is something that uh, is also private, we know uh, not everyone, I mean, you know, the, like we say, Klau Yisrael is all able to sit in one sukkah. We have these, in, 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 especially people that remember uh, New York uh, in the turn, you know, in the mid beginning of the 20th century, the sukkahs were outside, people shared the sukkah. Uh, there was and this. People night- went to public siddharam. Yes and no, um, right? Again, you, you, it's all a judgment call, right? I mean, obviously, you know, he believes that these sukkah lends itself because not everybody has the ability to build their own a secondary house that you're going to be sharing it and you're going to be with someone else and you're going to be, it's not going to be one family. I, I think that's probably what he means, although I, I, I didn't read the article, but... I, I'm happy to acknowledge that that's true. But it's important to understand, Rabbi Berman is proposing then that women were exempted from these time-bound positive commandments because of some rabbinic hedor. They wanted men, they wanted people to put filling on during morning minion, not at home, and thus uh, women are exempted from these time-bound positive commandments. There I agree with you. I mean, filling is, as we all know, Rabbi Broid, the tefillin is meant to be worn all day. It's not tethered to prayer. It's meant to be the Jewish, uh, it's the Jewish outfit that you wear all day. <laughs> so. I, I understand, but I don't know why 
these are more or less public other than by rabbinic decree sometimes, like Lula, or rabbinic tradition, as you say by sukkah, but I say is no less common by Seder. Yeah, I, can, I say it's no less common by Seder, but I don't have a problem with your defense of Rabbi Berman, but I don't find it particularly... Do you, do you think that Rabbi Berman was sort of suggesting, and this might be a little bit radical, that it, although Chazal in the in the uh, Sugian Kedushan that you uh, direct us to, that many people are familiar with in the middle of the first parak, um, that some of that might just be asmachta, and that really what's going on is the rabbis taking the reins and pottering women when um, the Torah might have not been a little bit vague about it, because... I have no idea. My article focuses on the normative halacha well established no. by the thousands. And it's true in the Gemara, there are many more open questions as to whether women are liable in this or that mitzvot say. When I step back and look at the list of mitzvot say that women are obligated in and women are exempt from, what I notice and what I propose in this article is that. Women tend to be exempt from the mitzvot say that entail an object, a prop, as I call it. Others and other times in the article, I call it a chetza shel mitzvah. Stillin, tzitzit, lulav, estro, the common characteristics of these activities so far are that in order to fulfill the, mit- the mitzvah, you need something. As opposed to those mitzvot afeshas non grama that women were obligated in, which is mekidish, uh, the inuyim of Yom Kippur, matzah on Seder night, which is just an alternative bread that women had around, rejoicing on the chagim, magid, and so on. That I think the central cutting difference between the positive commandments that women are obligated in and the positive commandments that women are exempted from is whether a woman could do so by herself. And Chazal, I think, intended not to leave women dependent on others because dependency creates vulnerability and vulnerability creates abuse. And this was a chesed extended by God Almighty in order to prevent women from being subject to abuse. And I think, as I lay out, that this is true not only for time-bound positive commandments, but this helps us explain why women are exempt from other positive commandments as well. Let me give you the most a radical example of this because, because it's helpful. The mitzvah of procreation. At first glance, it is the most ridiculous thing in the world that women are exempt from the mitzvah of pruru. How are we going to fulfill the mitzvah of pruru if all the exempt characters say, I'm not going to fulfill it? It's not a mitzvah. Men can fulfill by themselves at least until the very hip 21st century, and even then not yet really. Um, 
It's so important to understand. This bothers everybody. And the Mesha Chachma gives three answers, very famous three answers. The Mesha Chachma says, maybe having children is dangerous for women, so they were exempted. Maybe women yearn to have children, so they don't need to be obligated. Or maybe um, if you make women obligated in Puravu, it will negatively impact on um, divorce obligation in interesting, peculiar cases. But I want to propose a different answer. Making women obligated in Puravu will mean that a woman is really obligated to get married. And if she can't find a husband that she likes, she'll have to find a husband that she doesn't like. And we will coerce her to do a mitzvah. And it'll put her in a bad situation because there'll be a religious duty to marry somebody who she doesn't want, which will leave her vulnerable to divorce. So, obligate women in commandments that they could not readily perform independently leaves them open to abuse. That's the theme of what I propose. I recognize that when you ask me to find precedent for this, I don't exactly have precedent. I point out that maybe a Pineo Shua hints at it, and maybe the Pineo Shua is endorsed by a few others but right, I acknowledge right. the fit. Yeah, it's it's very tenuous, as you know. Again, Rabbi, I mean, I I appreciate you know bringing that Pnei Yeshua in. The Pnei Yeshua is talking about why, you know, the Gemara says that we don't try to stop women from Tosefis Yom Kippurim of eating until Yom Kippur starts, and the Gemara says because they're not going to listen to us. So the Pnei Yeshua says, well, why should they be chayiv in it in the first place? Because it's a mitzvah to add to the fasting uh, over and above the 24 hours or whatever it is. Um, and the Pnei Shu's answer is that since it's uh, passive, so therefore, isn't he really trying to say, so it's more like a negative commandment, which are all passive? Um, I, I, yes, he, and I want to note that what that means is, is that that's the reason why women are obligated in all the negative commandments, no matter how much they interfere with their maternal duties or their other obligations, is because you can never be coerced into an abusive, passive relationship. That's exactly my point. Yeah, I, I understand. But the Pnei Shu is really, <laughs> he's not really at all in any sort of modern thinking of, or or even uh, a chivalrous uh, aspect of trying to protect them. He's, I agree. The Pnei Yeshua is a strict so I, I don't want to rise or fall on the Pnei Yeshua. I agree. Right, and therefore I think adding the the Ricky Vager and the Ksav Seifer to it, you know, is also really tinsel that, you know, that withers after the holiday as far as that goes. So. Okay. I but, but I want to add, but again, you know, you know, we have, it's, 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 I, I appreciate you know, you, reaching into pruer vu, and I, I, it's a very interesting and I think modern way of looking at why women have the pitur. By the way, it's not, uh, we know, as far as I remember, that not every shita in Yavamas holds that way. I think there is a shita that holds that women are also part of that, 
that the, uh, the initial charge was not just a bracha to Adam and Chava, which was a mitzvah. It might be Rabbi Yossi, I agree with Shita. You're I'm totally sure. correct. My article does not focus on the breadth of Talmudic Shitot, which hold women are obligated in many of the Mitzvot Seichas, Man, Grama, in many different settings. But the normative halacha, the codified halacha from the year 1000, more or less is that women are not obligated in the mitzvah of... Right, but, 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 you're, try, but you're trying to plumb the depths of the Talmudic Mishnaic mindset. And I think it's worthwhile mentioning that you have Yossi Aglili, who isn't so, who he actually reads God's will to actually bring women into this command, this beautiful command of pru or vu. Um, and, and you could say, Michael, you know, that it actually empowers them, as opposed to saying, you know, you, you sketch a very dramatic situation where they're going to have to submit to some ogre-like husband in order to, to put, put progeny in the world, which is going to sort of like, you know, make them uh, vulnerable. You could see it as actually an empowering way, Yossi Aguili's opinion, that they are part of this mitzvah and that they are equal partners in it and et cetera, et cetera, right? So, Absolutely, you know. but it's not the normative halakha. Yeah. <laughs> as far as I know, not a single reshot accepts it as correct. Yeah, and 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 and, and since that's you know that's sort of uh, let, let, let's let's be honest though, um, the woman, the shita sabahag and others that say that the mitzvah of tkiya shofar is shmias kol shofar for women, right? And we even say lishmoa kol shofar, right? So she's so dependent because. You know, there's going to be that that chauffeur blowing is going to happen. Um, how is it that she has now been, you know... Uh, I, I don't understand. Shul's charge admission. And <laughs> many will exclude people. <laughs> okay. um, I, I just don't understand. To me, if you're going to make a person obligated in the mitzvah, um, others are going to say to them, pay me to help you do the mitzvah. So, so, so in other words, the even if there are communal ways that she could hear the shofar, which is a kiyam mitzvah, according to basically the standard halacha that you invoked a couple minutes ago, but she might be in a situation where she can't do that. And since she's going to have to take out money to do that, she's going to have to somehow um, expend herself to be able to get that shofar because it's unusual. Like you say, it's the prop and the prop and the prop makes her vulnerable because she's she's out there searching for it and she can be taken advantage of uh by by the fact that, that Jewish law compels her to do this and she cannot do it by herself. That is exactly correct. By the way, as I note in one of the footnotes, there are anomalies here that clearly bother people. The idea that a woman can't write a mezuzah but must hang it, bothers a group of achronim. I think that they're bothered by this question, although I can't show it explicitly. Mezuzah is highly unusual. Um, it cannot be written by a woman, but it must be hung by anybody who owns a house, um, man or woman. And this drives some achronim, uh, a minority, I agree, to say women aren't really obligated in mezuzah in a Torah. Right. Because it's unfair, however you want to parse the word unfair, 
to obligate somebody in a mitzvah that they can't do for themselves. That's exactly my point. Right, and but you remember the you know the Talmud does state there you know that uh, that anoshim boichai anoshim lo boichai when the Gemara actually goes in you know suggests that perhaps women are potter from mezuzah the Gemara says we know what it says right laman yirbu yemechem right that's part I of I don't want to focus on mezuzah. Because mezuzah is an unusual mitzvah because the, the mitzvah of mezuzah is parametered by the mitzvah of Sefer Torah. So I'm happy to acknowledge that mezuzah is an unusual one-off. But in general, my theory goes as follows. The, the exemptions from mitzvah, say, are, are exemptions that are designed to avoid abuse. And let me add that the Talmudic rabbis were exceptionally attuned to the fact that weak people were subject to abuse. Right, right, right. But, you know, it, what's interesting is that, you know, the, and, and I agree with you, what you've done, you know, following uh, Rabbi Berman and, and following other great thinkers about Tamiya Mitzvahs like Hirsch, um, that let's get, the, let's get all the facts on the table and now say what is the theory behind it. But it's interesting that the mechanism that the Talmud uses is so dry, antiseptic, and based on droshos, based on limudim, based on hekashim, and other things like that. Um, yes. And and, and, and Let me add that there's uh, there is no discussion in the Gemara or in the Rishonim of the view of, let's say, in modern times, Rabbi Yoel Ben Nun, that really women were exempt from mitzvot of seishas man grama. For the same reason that slaves were, which is they had an owner. And women who are unmarried, Rabbi Yoel ben Nun, a contemporary Jewish authority, are essentially obligated, he says, in mitzvot of Seisha Hazman and Grama. That view is discarded by the, the Orthodox community um, because it distastefully analogizes women to slaves. A woman without a husband is a slave who's been freed by her owner in this analogy. And just like a slave is exempt from its vote Hazman Grama, because they interfere with your duties to your master, Ba'Allah. The word for master and the word for husband are the same in the Ritonim. This argument says that really single women are obligated in its vote Hazman Grama. But <laughs> Uh, you're laughing at it, but I want to say it well, out loud. You know as well, again, you know, obviously. I, I understand. It's discarded. I'm not advocating. No, no, but also it's really, that's really just the Abu Dram. That's really just the Abu Dram's uh, rationale, which is that women are committed. They have other commitments, the commitments to their husband. God recognized this. And because of that, uh, again, you point out very well that Abu Dram's his theory doesn't match the halachic reality that the Talmud eventually develops that has, like you say, the ratio of many, many mitzvahs, or not so many, but a decent amount of mitzvahs that they are high of it. So I understand. I'm just reflecting to you that I could easily assign it sociology and then say when the sociology doesn't apply to women, they're obligated in mitzvot. But yet, as far as I know, nobody authentic in the Orthodox community 
adopts this view. If you read Rav Moshe's Tuba on why women are exempt, he connects it to child rearing. Yes, right. But he doesn't say women without children are obligated to this vote of Seisha as von Grama, because that would be yeah, well, which much, 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 much too far. Especially since even though we have altered our our mindset, uh, but we know that there's been a, a, a slope where women got married early. To say women up until marriage, it's one way, but then during their adolescent marriage, things changes. That's that is also an anathema to halachic system. Well, not if you analogize marriage to slavery. Then it's like before you were a slave and after you were freed as a slave. Think about an avid Kanani who is exempt from its vote, Ki'isha. Right. When they're freed from their slavery, what happens, Avram? Yes, well, of course. Then they become a, a, a complete Gertzedek, and then they're Chayev in all the mitzvahs. So how come they're exempt from the mitzvot, Ki'isha, when they're a slave? It's based on a drosha that we learned from Shifcha Harufa that, um, right, that the uh, Nitan law. So we make, uh, again, it, it really this depends. This drives the Avudraham in all honesty. The Avudraham says that if a slave is not obligated to go to Ron Grama because they're, they're duty-bound to their master, so to a woman. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that rationale. I, I do, actually. But if I took that rationale seriously, I would drive myself to the view of Rabbi Yol ben Nun in contemporary Israel that women are obligated in positive commandments nowadays when they're single or other such details. We would have a much more nuanced discussion of when are you exempt. And that's why, by the way, most are clearly aware of it. He said, right. Women in the world as a whole aren't wealthy, like us wealthy Americans who have au pairs and cleaning help and vacuum machines and do so much more. Um, so the Torah generally exempts them. But I don't think this theory well explains the data of Halacha, because if the Abu Raham's theory were correct, we would have a significant school of thought saying that women are obligated in mitzvot before they're married. Rabbi, I want to, I know the one of the, the thing that I read the article, and as I said, it is impressive and interesting, but I think the area that, that you're dancing around a little bit is Kriyashma, and I'd like you to, to, to explain to our listeners and our podcast listeners later why you believe Kriyashma which seems to be something that can be done in private. Why do you believe it's a prop mitzvah? So Kriyashma is a good question. Um, the reason why I think Kriyashma is a prop mitzvah is as follows. There are a group in the Gemara, a group of Tanayim and Amorayim, who think the mitzvah of Kriyashma is to recite an idea, and that it's like benching. Benching can, as a matter of Torah law, be fulfilled by rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, dear Lord, as they taught me in high school. But the overwhelming view of Rishonim, almost unanimous, is that Shema is not that way. Shema is a precise text. It has to be recited 
these words in English or in Hebrew or in any other language, but it's not a concept. A defined text has to be read from a scroll of some sort. You have to learn how to read. It's not a concept in your head. It more closely resembles a prop than, for example, the mitzvah of Magid. Magid is, a, is as a matter of Torah law not to recite this text, but it's to recite the idea that tonight God took us out of Egypt. So yes, I agree. The point in my paper is the weakest song. Yes. I agree. What, what second? We, we all know that the, the Kriya Shema Vihuda Nasi was Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echod. He was in the middle yes. of, and, and just like the women who are involved in child rearing, as Rav Moshe writes in his very, I would say, sort of meta halacha tshuva to Rabbi Kelimer, who was asking him for advice about some of the women's movements that were happening in the 1970s, as you know, if you read the whole tshuva. But the same way Rav Moshe and un- understood that women are involved in maternal ha- homekeeping, Rebbe Yehuda Anasi was teaching, and he understood Shema is good enough. One statement, Shema Yisro, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, we have no proof that Yehuda Hanasi did anything else except say those words, and that was sufficient. I don't think that qualifies as a ultra-precise text. Also, as you know, the Chazal wonder what should Kriya Shema be. It only says V'dibartapah. We don't know what those words are. Chazal are trying to figure it out, as Rav Salvechik has pointed out, and I would, have an- I would have answered it this way, Rabbi Broid. Wait, it's a chaluk of Limit Atayra, and women are okay. published in Talmud Torah, right? I could accept that. I'm not inclined in that direction, but I understand that's another viable answer. Shema is part of Shema. Talmud. Shema is a super version of Talmud Torah, as the Gemara Menachos points out, and other places. That it's it's sort of like Talmud Torah that 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 permeates your 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 mind and essence for the whole day. It's a, it's a din in Talmud Torah. Women are putter in Talmud Torah, so they're putter in Kriya Shema. I'm not inclined in that direction. I'm inclined to think that Rabbi Yudha Nasi's one sentence Shema is, a, is the view of those who say Shema is a concept and not a text, which is not the view accepted by the normative halacha or most Rishonim, and maybe at most is accepted in some sort of deep bedieved way. To re- fulfill the mitzvah of Shema, the Rishonim say you have to say almost all say the first two paragraphs. This is not a a um, a creed. This is a text. Creed is magid. Remember, God took us out of Egypt. That's a creed. But Shema we hold is a precise text. If you say if you say the words of Shema out of order. You don't fulfill the obligation. Okay, so and what about what about Rav Gamliel's statement that that it crowns our Seder Haggadah? Right. So one could I know about the Rashba who says that one word of Zeker Tzias Mitzrayim is enough of a kiyum, but that's clearly not the Lakatchila kiyum of just saying tonight we left Mitzrayim, right? But so again. I think if we took Raman Gamliel as the halakha, it would pose a greater problem. You're going back to the variety of Talmudic possibilities, and I insist that my theory doesn't cover the variety of Talmudic possibilities, but 
is not accepted as part of the Torah obligation of Mazi. I think it's important to respond directly. The, the, the exemption of women's mitzvot in the Gemara is a much more open field. So many of the exemptions are contested in the Gemara. So I, I'm, I think you're correct, Aliba, Dijina, the Gemara, and I'll go even further. As I speculate in the article, I'm happy to concede that in the time of the early Tanayim, women were exempt from every single mitzvah And when the author of the Mishnah says, he's not kidding. But, and thus, Tameha mitzvot has to look at a time. But the halacha here hasn't changed for more than a thousand years. From the time of the rift to the present, the contours of the Mitzvot Asesha of Man Grama that women are exempt from has approximately been indisputed. Even though if I were to open a Gemara, I'm not sure I would know that women are exempt from filling. On the forefront, really, of modern halacha and explaining things, um, this this is an interesting foray for you to go into time Ya Mitzvahs. Um, do you believe, I know you've said in the article that it doesn't really have such practical ramifications, you're not trying to change anything, but do you believe it now um, helps defend uh, normative aloha from the misogynistic um, com- you know, uh, sort of like complaints of misogyny and women as second-class citizens that you find, you know, feminist uh, that wasn't my agenda here. Um, if it helped, great. I have a slightly different comment about why is Tamea Mitzvot here contested. Um, the real question in our modern Orthodox society, and even in our Orthodox society in its less modern form, is what Rabbi Kellimer was asking Ravosa about, which is what should be our attitude towards women who want to do mitzvot that they're exempt from. This is the most contested area of the last 50 years, which is how do we respond to women's desire to do mitzvot asechaz, man, grama, some of which they always have done, like your chauffeur blowing, some of which they've never done, but now they want to do, um, like where it so to me, the real issue of Tameh and Mitzvot here is our attitudinal view of are women exempt because these Mitzvot are bad for them? Or are women exempt because we don't want to stress them out? But when a sincere woman wants to do a Mitzvah, um, we say, go for it. For most of response to Rabbi Kellimer, it's very much in the mind view that I am in, which is Ramosha says, here's why he thinks women are exempt. And thus, when a sincere woman comes to us and says, can I put on tzitzis? You know what you say? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Because the Torah's exemption wasn't intended to say, don't do it. The Torah's exemption was intended to say, you don't have to do it. And the reason why Ta'ameh, not Hamitzvot, but Ta'ameh HaPeturim, 
is so important is because when you're in a time where those who are exempt are asking, would the world be a better place if we did these mitzvot, you really have to ask why are women exempt from mitzvot? My rationale proposes that women were exempted from mitzvot to avoid abuse. And in those situations in which um, we are certain that the women doing the mitzvot will not produce abuse, or we're sure that if it starts to produce abuse, they will stop doing the mitzvot, we should generally adopt a emotional attitude towards women doing mitzvot, which is to say, if you're sincerely doing the mitzvot, go for it. It's not a response to the misogynist. It's a response to the modern era of women yearning to do mitzvot sincerely. But, but it also, I think, if, you know, if it is adopted, if this mindset is adopted, what it's going to end up doing is uh, dampen that militant aspect, which is what Ramosha is talking about. Ramosha and the Rav, of course, as the Frimmers pointed out in their magisterial article, uh, the Rav's attitude, and as Meiselman has also written about, that the idea of using the mitzvah as a cudgel to say, we want it as well, this is our, uh, our, our weapon to, to, uh, to show that we are as equal, that's the thing that Ramosha was against. You're saying that if you look at the mitzvah with this rationale, then you're not going to want to do the mitzvah in an aggressive manner. If if you see that if you if you're an Abu Dramer or or a Ralbagar, then you are actually going to say, no, I'm going to do this mitzvah and I'm going to do it aggressively because I I, I am rebelling by doing it against uh, the attitude which I feel is putting women down. You in, in your article. You feel, and I think you. This is part of what you're saying. I'm sort of restating it. If if you, your article will actually uh, lower the temperature, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that's correct. I'm no fan of the boiling temperature we are living in at this very moment. I'm no fan of the polemics that are out there, and I don't think Torah and Mitzvah gain from the continuous raising of the temperature. If I do nothing other than throw ice cubes in the boiling water. I'm ahead in the game. Uh, you know, before we started recording, I mentioned to you uh, one of the, your footnotes. Uh, you mentioned um, the Maral, um, and uh, I meant you know we we talked before we started recording that that Hirsch and others uh, have sort of, I guess whether they saw the Maral or not, they've developed this idea that women don't need these mitzvos, men are uh, are, are deficient. Uh, sort of what Mendelssohn said to Lavater as well, that the Jews need the mitzvahs, the non-Jews don't. Not, women don't need these mitzvahs. They are more spiritual innately. Um, and I know that you felt that this was in an, an insufficient explanation because it didn't explain why they're chayev and other mitzvahs. That was... That's your, correct. But, I, I totally agree with that. But, but, but what I would be worried about if the Michael Broyd theory becomes the dominant one, like the Abu Drams was for so many years, that people will forget the beautiful uh, elucidation that the Maral and other mystics 
do write about women's elevated this level of noshim shananos and cheshek. There, there is something beautiful about that idea that they operate on a on, on a level that we can only guess at. There is a ultra spirituality that women do have from cheshek, and, and and I don't believe the maral was engaging in apologia. I think he he really uh, uh, prided himself of being real and saying, this is, I'm not, unlike uh, De Rossi and the people he criticized, he felt he was representing Yiddishkeit properly. So I am a little bit worried that that Teretz, so to speak, might not, it won't have currency anymore. Do you I, don't doubt the bar, I don't doubt his sincerity, but he has no proof to his proposition. And those who accept it, accept it. He's no more correct than the robot. You so think I'm not so? By it. Wait one second. You ask again. We know that he was privy to a mystical tradition. Uh, the Maral, although he didn't use the classical Kabbalistic expressions that we find in Cordovero and the Arizal, we know that he right, and and, and therefore what he writes there. Uh, it wasn't because he was trying his, to appease his women audience. Um, whereas I think... He doesn't have any proof that his view is correct. Right. It's based on his, 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 his studies as a Kabbalist. On-sighted and, and, studies. On-sighted and, and on-recorded. Right. And also the, the, his, his subtle readings of, of Chazal about Nashim Shananai's and other things. I, I think, Rabbi Broid, I, I've done a lot of um, investigation of the Ralbag, and I, as you have, to put those two together. I mean, you know, it, first of all, it's ironic because the Hakdama to Gvuras Hashem, you know, is a, is the, 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 the Maral makes Hashem blot out of the Ralbag there. He's very, very against him. But, but we know the Ralbag seems to have had a, a misogynistic you know, gene in him, because anywhere he can, any other, anywhere he can in his parish, he is, whether it's Ottoman Chava, whether it's, he's always talking about denigrating the level of women. And I think that um, that's something which I think we have to abhor. I don't think the same thing is true. I don't think the, to, to, to dismiss the Maral as just a fantasist who's just, you know, floating out there. I think we're missing a message that women need to hear. That Ray, I'm in favor of your sharing it, but nonetheless, it doesn't address the important issues. It's Hershian. Take it or leave it. I'm sorry. You're allowed to voice it, but it doesn't persuade anybody because it comes with no proof text. Again, we would have to talk about that in a different way. I also want to just end here with what, what's your feeling about you know, how this fault line uh, is indicated in the Machlokas, the Sephardim, the Ashkenazim, about women making a bracha on mitzvah sasei man grama. I don't deal with it in the article because I've, in a few different times, taken different views on this, and I'm not sure what's the right answer. It's, it's somehow connected, and it might be somehow connected to the fact that the Rambam in the Paris of Mishnayis doesn't even adopt the terminology of mitzvah sasei man grama. There's a, there's a difficulty in understanding what really is the view of the Rambam. The Rambam never had, records at a suitable moment 
a general idea that women are exempt from mitzvotah, say, Shazman Gram. It could be each mitzvah is separate and distinct. I'm not sure. It's an excellent question. He's very upset about the Ashkenazi um, influence that had Sephardi girls making brachas over mitzvahs, Asay Shazman Grama. Um, and of course, the, the shita of, of the Ashkenazim, uh, it's actually Machlokas Rashi and Rameinu Tam, though, whether uh, uh, that women can make the bracha. Um, My father, Olav Shalom, Rabbi Freelander, he he always would say one of the reasons women were putter on, on uh, Koravu was so that the husbands would treat the wives good enough so they'd agree to have children. <laughs> That's one I thing. agree with that. That, by the way, is saying that if we made women obligated, husbands would be less nice. Well, That's they would have a potential of being less nice. Yeah, of course, not me. They're, they're ha- usually mitzvahs, there is a certain spiritual need for people to do mitzvahs, right? Whatever mitzvah were mitzvah So the idea that women did not require certain mitzvahs could also be, it could be like a two-prong rationale behind this, not only to not make them vulnerable to potential abuse, but to also say one of the reasons, because if they didn't require it, then the whole structure would be different. Then they wouldn't have the Mycida necessarily going to someone else. Um, oh, if they wow. That's a fascinating point. All right. Rabbi, thank you so much again. Thank you all very much. I welcome any comments any of you have. My email address is no secret, and I'd love to hear from any of you who want to write to me. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.